Hello, everyone, and welcome to You Are Beautiful. And if you didn't hear it today already, let me say it to you right now. You are beautiful wait for it. Beautiful. That's right. My name is Lawrence Zarian, but since we are going to be instant fast friends, you can call me LZ. On this podcast, some of my uh, closest friends from television, film, movies, influencers, designers, they're going to be here with me, with us, talking about how they feel, what makes them feel beautiful, and when they look in the mirror, what do they see? It's going to be a fun ride. Trust us, trust me, and let's have some fun. Hey, and by the way, let me say it again. You are beautiful. And one more thing. You are beautiful is brought to you by the vibrant doc, Dr. Stacy J. Stevenson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another uh, episode of You Are Beautiful with Lawrence Arian. And I'm really excited for this episode because through my career, I've been able to interview and meet lots and lots of people. And in this process, you say hello, you do the interview, and then they come and go. And then every now and then you meet someone that you get to interview. And because of this new world that we're living in, it's in many ways, you're not on a red carpet. You don't have physical connection because you're not in front of each other. All you have is this little screen in front of you because it's a Zoom. It's the way we are navigating through our new normal. So I was given this amazing opportunity to interview my guest, Justin Baldoni. Hey, Justin. Hey, how are you, buddy? I'm good, my friend. It's great to see you. You too, man. As I was saying, when we first met, I was doing an interview for a show that I do here in Los Angeles called California Live on NBC. I remember. And because of this concept of us just looking at each other, it is me looking at you and you looking at me. And to be completely transparent and completely honest, that interview has sat with me. Who you are, what you put out into the world has affected the way I look at the world. Wow. Thank you. That's really kind. I don't remember what I said. I hope you're not expecting anything like what I said before, because then I just might disappoint you. <laughs> well, it's not the first time a man has disappointed me, but I digress. I do recall you did say to me, and you got squeamish because I have it on tape, that you would go to the prom with me in my next lifetime. I do remember that. Of course I would. Why wouldn't I? And you said, yes, so we're good. Yeah. Yeah. So many things that we tackled in such a short amount of time about masculinity, about your book, Man Enough, mm. about so many things. And that is why I felt at that moment, and I still feel this way so, so in tune with you now, is this concept of the podcast, You Are Beautiful. And it's how we see the world through these new eyes, because we've all gone through something really intense together as a society, as a world. And let me just start at the top and let me ask you this. When you, Justin Baldoni, look in the mirror, what do you see? Mm, I love that question. The honest answer as of this morning, because it changes every day. As of this morning, I looked in the mirror and I said to myself in the mirror this morning that I needed to refine the love for myself. Because hmm. I had noticed over the last few weeks that I had been looking in the mirror and just going straight to what's wrong, not to what's beautiful, to what can be improved, to what I think would make me more lovable, more attractive, make me look more like a movie star 
make, I don't know, make my wife more attracted to me. All the things that are the programs that are running in the back of my head that don't matter and that aren't real, that are all from socialization, make my shoulders wider, you know, lose a couple, uh, a couple percent body fat on my abs so I can see them like I could when I was 25 or 30. That's been the, the program running over the last few weeks. And what's interesting is if you don't pay attention to it, it can quickly take over your life and become the default program. And this morning, coincidentally, I pressed pause on the programming. And I looked in the mirror and I said, stop it, Justin. Stop it. As my wife has said to me so many times, stop being mean to my husband. And so I said, stop it, Justin. And I looked at the scar on my nose. I have this scar because I found a basal cell carcinoma, which is the best kind of skin cancer to get. And I had a huge surgery to take out a big chunk of my nose about six months ago. I saw my scar and instead of thinking bad things about it, I looked at it and I was so grateful that the cancer is out of my body. And I looked at my body at 38, almost 39 years old, and I found things that I liked about it. I was grateful for it and, and the muscle definition I did have. And I looked at my smile and I, uh, I appreciated this kind of like one half dimple that I have. <laughs> and I just had to reprogram my brain this morning. So I love your question because I pressed pause on the default programming that was taking over, like a cancer takes over. And as we know, the majority of the thoughts that we experience on any given day in our subconscious are negative thoughts. And if we do not bring those negative thoughts to the surface and make them conscious and then reprogram them, they will take over. That was what was happening in the last few weeks. So as of today, there's your answer. Well, then let me ask you this. First of all, thank you for being so transparent. My question is, because you brought up your wife, Emily, did Emily notice the signs that you were getting stuck in that story in your head? I've become really good, good at hiding it. <laughs> it's kind of like an addiction in a way. Like I just know when to not bring it up, but she can tell, you know, when we're brushing our teeth at night and I look at myself, she can just tell energetically where I am. She's, I joke that she's, she's my witch. She's, she's like an intuitive psychic energy worker now. So she knows there's no, there's no bullshitting my wife. She knows where I am. Do you also look at it that way and think, well, then that's also one of the reasons you chose her? Oh my God, for sure. Who wants to be in a relationship with somebody who can't see who you really are and knows all your tricks? I mean, I, I don't want someone to let me get away with my stuff and who knows my tricks or who doesn't know my tricks. And what is, you know, I don't want that. I want somebody who will call me on my stuff because I think that the beauty in marriage and relationships are when, uh, when two people come together and they clash and then the spark of truth is ignited and, and you grow, you become mirrors to each other. How do you then navigate? Because I, I say this all the time. I always feel that God moves us like chess pieces and that we're meant to where we're supposed to be at any given time. And I'm in this, I'm in this space in my life where I've got somebody in my life and they've been there for a long time and they just don't see me. And it's this constant pivot and move and jab and poke and point. And it's this constant game of dart move. How do you then, because we're in a business where that can happen and it's this constant, how do you maneuver through not tap dancing for somebody else? Mm. Specifically as it relates to relationships? Relationships, friendships, family, friends. We could just make this whole episode on- uh... About that. <laughs> You know, I tap danced a lot in my previous relationships and it led me nowhere. 
it's kind of like when you keep opening the same door, thinking you're going to end up somewhere else, you know, but you're not in Narnia. You're just in West Hollywood. You start to realize like, okay, I need to go through a different door if I want to end up somewhere else. And I think for a long time, I didn't think that I was worthy of being loved if I was asking for what I believed I deserved. A lot of that comes from programming as a child, despite the fact that my parents loved me, what they felt was unconditionally, there were in fact conditions. They just didn't realize it. And I did not feel, I think, ready, willing enough to be with somebody and know that if they don't see me, I have enough value that I can leave and be okay. You know that when you say this, like if my older brother, Vincent, was listening to this, he'd go, click, <laughs> because you are you tap into something that I, which is when I felt aligned with you, was like, oh, you speak my language. I'm here to listen and learn. But for somebody like Vincent or such a majority of men out there, they don't want to go through this stuff. They don't want to look at this shit. They don't want to look at it. Well, first of all, let me ask you this. Where was that moment? As an actor, you know, you started as an actor, you've done so many things. Where was that moment for you where you became enlightened or have you always been enlightened? I'm not enlightened, brother. You are. And you are in the sense that you put it out there, you speak your truth, and there is a light that is on when you speak about this. What was that moment in your life where you're like, oh, this is now another purpose? It comes from my faith, to be honest, man. I. It comes from purpose and why we're here. And and I rack my brain with how I ended up where I am and 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 why I have a platform at all and how I've been able to get jobs and work and why people even listen to me or say things like you just said to me. And 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 because there is a deep feeling that this is all I'm 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 fooling everybody. It's not real. I wish you could really see who I really am, which is this insecure eight-year-old who doesn't think you should be listening to me at all because I I really want to be listening to you because I don't know the answer. So with that, there's always this sense of gratitude that I'm even in a place where anybody gives a shit what I have to say. I feel that as I've been owning and finding confidence in what I have to offer the world, my magic, if you will, is simply sincerity and truth. And I have built everything that I've built off of that idea that if we can just simply get out of our own way and share the most sincere parts of ourselves without any expectation, then magic happens. I don't think there was any one moment, man. I think it was very simply, here I am. I'm not good at a lot of things. I might seem like I'm good at a lot of things, but really what I'm good at is saying I don't know, sharing what I'm not good at, and being curious to figure out how we can get to a, a place together. And then that by chance, makes me good at things. Sharing my vulnerability so that other people don't feel alone. What people don't realize is that when I share these parts of myself, it's healing for me too, because I'm speaking them out into the ether and they're no longer hiding in that dimly lit basement of my heart where mold and shame grow in abundance. First of all, you're open, you are willing, you are listening, you're aware. You know, I've made a very good career in the fashion business and I don't question it. God really directed me one way and said, I want you to do this. And then as you, I sit there and I think, why do I have this platform? I love women. And I love women when they allow themselves to feel beautiful. And I know that's my platform. I know that my platform is to hold a woman's hand, to look in the mirror and love what they see. 
Mm. I don't fight that anymore. I allow that. That is part of my passion. And I have the best time when there's this connection of the heart. Now, that a woman is totally different than a man. What I find so passionate about you is come hell or high water, you're allowing men to feel something. And back to Vincent, doesn't want to go deep for a woman that just wants her guy to expose himself more or wants her man to share more and he's not doing it. How does a woman help a, help her guy do that? Creating a feeling of safety for the man, which is ironic. You know, it's so funny. There's, there's so many conversations happening and you can have this conversation in a lot of different ways. And it comes down to this strange, this, this almost this strange paradox where we ask the quote unquote oppressed to hold space for the oppressor. Hmm. And that's not a fair thing by any means. However, men are, I believe, victims of the same system. And we don't realize the harm that we have caused ourselves and don't realize how unsafe we feel in this world. If we knew how unsafe we felt, we would be treating each other and ourselves very different. Why do we wear so much armor? Why are we afraid to tell another man how we feel? Why are we afraid to cry in front of other people? Why are we afraid to exhibit feminine qualities, if you will? Where does that fear come from? Why do we need to have big muscles and be strong and jacked? Why do we need to be the alpha? Where does this all come from? What are we trying to prove? What are we afraid of? What do we feel unsafe from? And at the core of that, we don't feel safe with each other. Yeah. Because we know, and we were told early on, what was acceptable behavior as a man. And we knew that the worst thing we could ever be was a woman or gay. Yeah. Both of those things made you traitors to your own gender. So it's no wonder you grew up in a world where those two groups are very unsafe. How could they be safe? Wait, can we go back to that? Traitors to your own gender. That is fantastic. That is such a great way to look at that and sort of process it and define it because so many men are stuck in, in my, since I'm gay, fighting constantly to be seen and heard and accepted. And it's an ongoing battle because whenever you turn on the television or open up a magazine, I'm told I'm wrong. I told I'm a sinner. I'm told that I am so many things, but I'm not a man because I'm gay. Yeah, of course, because you exhibit the feminine qualities. I think that we all secretly wish we had the freedom of women and gay men and hell, even trans men in some ways to just be whoever the hell we feel like we are. You know, there's a jealousy, I think, that happens with, with some straight men and gay men when you're singing and dancing or you're free to wear whatever the hell you want to wear. And we're stuck in this constricted box because we're not allowed to be anything else except what we've been told we are allowed to be, which is kind of bland. <laughs> That's right. It's like eating yeah. chicken breast with no sauce over and over <laughs> and over again. Right. Great. You can do it to get ripped, but at the end of the day, it's pretty boring. There's so much more to life. So back to your original question. I think that we feel unsafe in the world. We feel unsafe in the education system. We feel unsafe in the marital system. You know, God forbid there's, uh, there, I mean, there are inequalities, believe it or not, against men in this current world. And we are feeling the pressure on a daily basis of the fact that, wait a second, we are not doing well. Our mental health is not good. The workforce is not looking up for vocational jobs. It's not looking pretty. 
jobs that actually require skills in our hands. A lot of these things are going to robots. We're not graduating college at the level we were. I mean, it was 60% 30 years ago, men, and now it's 40% men. So we've flipped it. If we got a divorce, oftentimes the court system is biased against men. We're four times more likely to kill ourselves than women. We're unhappy. <laughs> we're not doing well. And all the while, we are, we are deeply afraid, I believe, to be seen and be who we really want to be versus who this world has told us to be. So all the way back to your question, I care deeply about men and I want men to thrive and be happy. So what can a woman do was your specific question with a man in her life. And she wants him to open up. I believe that there needs needs to be a feeling of safety because one of the things we know is that men men and women are both conditioned and brought up in the same system, in the same country. We are all socialized the same way, which means that as much programming comes from uh, f- for us men to be the alpha, to be the man, to hold our emotions close to our vest, to wear the armor, that same programming also is in effect with women. And they are conditioned to see men in that way. And there have been many men who have opened up, who have cried, who have admitted their vulnerability. And it makes the woman feel unsafe because then she's not getting the protector, the provider, the vision that she was told she had to be oftentimes what came from her father, because as we know, we always marry our parents. And it creates this feeling of this strange punitive feeling where oftentimes men can feel punished for being emotional and vulnerable in that way. So what I try to say is when I speak to women, because women have asked me this question, it's not to become the man's therapist because that will completely take away the drive for romance and sex. We know that. In addition to to the inequalities that exist in most nuclear families and heterosexual relationships that have to do with women doing the majority of the chores, women raising the children, figuring out, and men providing, if you add in a woman having to hold a man's feelings all day long, there's no room for that because they're already doing their fair share. However, Allowing there to be space so that if your man does feel vulnerable, if your man does feel like he's failing at his job or he's worried that he's not going to be able to provide, that he doesn't feel that alone, that he doesn't feel the financial pressure to provide by himself. He can talk about it without feeling and sending the woman into a panic that she's not safe. And this is what happens, right? These insecurities trigger each other. And then before you know it, the marriage blows up or the man is depressed. And look, how many times have we seen 40, 50, 60 year old men take their lives because they don't feel like they have any sense of, of value or worth for their families because they can no longer provide? Well, what is that? It's a system that's told us that our only value is through productivity. If we're not able to be productive at the level we think we are supposed to be, we have no value in this world. Well, that can't be the way God created us. That can't be That can't be true. Of course, we're supposed to strive. Of course, we need to work. Of course, we need to take care of our families. But when we associate that with inherent value, we go off course. So creating a sense of safety, encouraging the man, letting him know that he is enough as he is, even if he can't provide in that sense. But also, you're talking a lot about communication. And that is one thing people don't want to do. A lot of people don't want to communicate. A lot of people don't want to expose themselves. They don't want to. I think they don't know how to. I think probably both. Yes. If they knew how to, they would do it. But then if they expose themselves, they show the vulnerability. And then there's that domino effect that it just, well, forget it because it's not going to work. Well, then let me ask you this then. With the pandemic, the world stopped. So many of my friends And I know so many people, relationships didn't last. A lot of people were breaking up. A lot of people were like, you know what? I see you and I just don't like you. (laughs) How did you and Emily navigate through that? Well, I think the pandemic 
showed a lot of people who they were with. Yeah. I mean, you can show me all you want when times are good, but when times are bad, I can see who you really are and what work you've done and where you are and how far you have to go. And the pandemic has kind of stripped all the distractions away for a moment. It's very easy to fall in love with an idea of someone. It's very easy to enjoy somebody's company, spend time with them in between work and jobs. For many people, it's all about sex. And then the relationship is built on the foundation of that. But that's not a, that's not a safe foundation. It's not a real foundation. And the pandemic kind of stripped it all away. And it was like, hey, okay, we're going through something. A lot of our comforts are stripped away. Who are you? Who am I? And a lot of folks panicked. Emily and I were really blessed because we did that work prior to any pandemic. So you went into it with the tools. You know, I read about this in my first book. In Man Enough, the idea of any relationship, marriage, it needs a foundation. And the Baha'i faith were taught that marriage should be looked at like a fortress for well-being and salvation. That's what Baha'u'llah says, a fortress. And what is a fortress? A fortress is something that you construct to protect you from attacks coming from the outside. And you build it yourself, which means that if, if marriage is like a fortress for well-being and salvation, if we are building a fortress, if you and me are in a relationship, we're building a fortress, that means we are building it with whatever we have here. We're building it with the sticks and the stones. We're building it with our baggage, with our, you know, the baggage from our previous relationships, all the, 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 the wounds from our, from our upbringing and our childhood. We're building this fortress with whatever we can together. And everything is out in the open. Whatever we have, we build it with. It doesn't have to be pretty, but it's got to be a fortress. And we know that the fortress is here to protect us from whatever is outside. Well, we don't think about things that way. And for Emily and I, building a fortress was very hard because it means you have to go in and you have to excavate and you have to find all of this stuff, you know, all of, the, all of your traumas, all of your wounds, all of the things that you have been uh, holding on to your whole life. And you have to open yourself up and you're literally building a, you're building a, it's like building a fortress out of the shit from your past. And yet it becomes the strongest thing. It becomes the foundation for your life. And it protects you when things like a pandemic happens. It protects you when you lose your job. It protects you when you lose your identity. It protects you if one of you got into an accident because the foundation of your marriage is not just about the way that you look, your job, your success, your fame, your money, your health even. It's about the actual reason why the two of you love each other or the two of us love each other. And that work is deeply uncomfortable. It's the spiritual gym. It's the emotional gym. Us men love working out. We love, we love improving on things, right? That's why, you know, men don't read, you know, novels. They read self-help books from other men that are like, you know, inspiring to them, or they read stories of these very successful alpha men. Like this is this is the type of these are the types of books that we love. Well, when it comes down to it, we need to put that, put in that same work into our relationships and our marriage. But that can't happen unless you use vulnerability. Vulnerability is the actual thing that is going to allow you to build your fortress. It's going to allow you to be the to build the building block of your foundation. But we don't know how to be vulnerable because we were never taught to be vulnerable because every time we were, we got our hands slapped by either another boy or by our fathers or by somebody else who told us that's not allowed. Oh, a woman's going to leave you if she sees that part of you. When in reality, I believe that the majority of women are longing for their men to open up and to share their hearts. Now, there's a difference between opening up and being vulnerable and being whiny. Yeah, yeah. The difference between being vulnerable and complaining 
and just moping around and, oh, my life and this, that, there's, there's a difference. Being vulnerable is when you open up and you share something that could be used against you and you share it despite the fact that it could be used against you, trusting it with the other person. Complaining is just looking at your life and saying, oh, well, this sucks and maybe you, could, maybe you cry, maybe you do this, but, but it's not vulnerability. Emotion and vulnerability are not the same thing. And we have to learn how to be vulnerable. And I believe is, is when, when women experience that, I hate to say you got to give a man a cookie, but in some ways we have to retrain the brain. Pavlov had it right, right? You ring the bell, the dog salivates. And unfortunately, we've been told our entire lives we're not allowed to be vulnerable. So when we are, we need a cookie for a second. We need somebody to say, you're safe. And then the second and the third time, we'll feel more comfortable. We don't need a cookie every time. But we have to re and deprogram and unlearn. And the only way we can do that is in the safety with people that we love and knowing that we are not bad, that we are not punished if we, if we do exhibit vulnerability and that we are going to be okay. And if anything, it makes us more likable and more lovable and more of a man. I, <laughs> it's so funny. I'm like, I'm so excited to listen to my podcast and hear this sermon again and again, because you give me the first time we met and spoke, I literally just find myself like a sponge wanting to apply all of this and applying all of it and living through the tools that you gave me before. Because I love therapy. I've been in therapy since I was very, very young. I'm also sober. I've been sober now for over 17 years. Oh, congratulations. And the best thing I've ever done. My father said to me, my son came home. Mm, wow. When the student is ready, so many teachers appear. And I have to mm -hmm. say, the thing that I need, I want with the people that are in my life and I'm encouraging is a willingness to communicate and to not say things like, well, you did this, you did that. Hey, can we talk? I just want to share some thoughts because those are the thoughts. Feelings yeah. are not facts, but the, the group over these last couple of years gets more solid and concise because we have all been taught in these last couple of years, wait, hold on. If I say hello to this person and they have COVID, I could get sick and I could like, I think there's so much post trauma of yeah, everything of we've all gone through. The choices are more specific and we are choosing to allow people in. What are some, I don't want to say steps or things like that, but if you're having dialogue and you feel like you're coming up against a wall and you feel like you're hitting somebody that's not breaking with you or not trying to vibrate on that same level, what do you say? Because that, that's sort of where I'm at right now. I've got a couple friends. I know I'm alluding, alluded to this earlier. I feel like I'm screaming, this is how it is. Please pay attention. And mm -hmm. they're not getting it. Where would you see that? I think one of the things you brought up about what COVID did in the pandemic is it established whether it was welcome or not, it introduced the idea of boundaries into the global population. Because suddenly somebody crosses a threshold and a boundary, and there's the, the, the feeling of life and death. <laughs> yeah. Boundaries are really important. And I believe that the majority of people don't have a strong sense of what healthy boundaries look like. This is why therapy is so important. Good therapy. There's also bad therapy. There's all kinds of therapy. But I think what you're really talking about are, are boundaries. And boundaries come from a sense of self and knowing oneself and knowing what is important. Do you then proclaim the boundary or do you just live in the boundary? Well, I think every situation is different. I think it's really important to communicate boundaries, honestly. I think that shows strength. I think that shows bravery. The issue with boundaries is that a lot of us are not conditioned to 
hear them or hold them, and we can take them as personal attacks. But we can no longer minimize ourselves for the sake of others. Because every time that you make yourself small to make somebody else feel good, then you're doing a disservice to yourself and the other person. Did you see what I just did? You saw me look away. I got a Sharpie and I got a pen and I'm like, minimize myself for <laughs> others. Seriously. Every time we have a feeling in our body that a boundary is being crossed or that we need something that we're not getting and we don't speak it and we allow it to keep happening, we're essentially just minimizing ourselves for the sake of others and to be accepted, which comes down to a deeper feeling that we're not enough because the fear is that when we set a boundary, we'll be abandoned. By that person. And if we're abandoned by that person, then we will no longer be enough because that person, by proximity, by having them in our lives, is making us feel like we're enough, right? So it all kind of comes back to the same place. So setting boundaries is very scary, especially in relationships, because to set a boundary means if you're not willing to respect this thing that I need, then maybe this isn't going to work. But you can't set a boundary without believing it and knowing that you are enough and being okay if that person decides to cross it or not respect it. Otherwise, then it's like you're going all in playing poker, but you only have, you know, you have some shitty cards and you're going to just be discovered. And then you're going to be like, well, can I stay in the game? And then that person's going to lose respect for you anyways. So the relationship comes down to just knowing your value, knowing that, okay, I need this thing. This is important to me. I feel it in my body. I need it. I need it to be happy. And it doesn't mean that I need you to change. This is just a thing that I need. And if you can't give that to me, then maybe we aren't right for each other. And I'll still care about you. I'll still love you. But I only have so much time in a given day. I only have so much energy in a given day. And I need to be with somebody that respects those boundaries. That's a really hard conversation for most people. And it comes from knowing yourself. It comes from doing that work. It comes from actually pausing and listening to your body and saying, wait, what is this thing in my stomach that tells me that this is wrong? Because we are taught, especially as men, whether you are gay or straight, to ignore those signs over and over and over again. Bell Hooks in A Will to Change, and I quote this all the time because it's so relevant, writes that the first act of violence that men commit in a patriarchal society is not violence against women. It's violence against themselves. When they commit the act of soul murder and they suppress their emotions, they numb their feelings and they stop listening. It's literally soul murder. And if you believe in God, which I do, I believe that these feelings, these emotions, these are attributes of the soul. And by numbing them and by not listening, we are killing that part of ourselves. So I can't even, I can't even give you a boundary. I can't even decide what a boundary looks like in my life unless I go in and I feel what feels right, what feels wrong, what makes me feel unsafe, what makes me feel loved. I have to go in first. And so far, what I've seen a lot of are people setting boundaries without doing that work? So let me ask you this then, because I do think a lot of people, yes, as you said, we marry our parents. I get it. Do you, well, it's probably why. I'll, don't you love that? Don't you, don't you love that I'm answering your question for you? Answer it for me. Uh, yeah, I've got this. Uh, I'll be taking Justin's calls later today. Man Enough is a book that was healing for me. It was a dialogue that I could relate to, cried through it many times because I felt seen and heard. And I kept thinking, and I know that we talked about this the first time we met, I wish I knew this when I was younger. I wish my father had different tools. Is that where your new book, Boys Will Be Human, came from to help those boys that exactly don't have the tools, don't get it at home, and especially now with our current climate, 
a lot of kids are just being stifled and not allowed to speak and express. And the fathers, because ideally the fathers are reading it with the boys and then it can become the bridge to heal that generational trauma. I wrote the book for me because I didn't have that. I mean, I wrote Man Enough for me, but I wrote Boys Will Be Human for me too. It was a selfish endeavor because, God, what what would I be like? What would my friends be like? What would my dad be like if I had a book like that when I was 11 and 12? You know, there was somebody in my life telling me that by watching porn at 11 years old before I hit puberty and before I was able to get an erection, what I was doing to my brain, how I'd live with this sense of insecurity and and comparison (laughs) to be there for me when I was 13 and being bullied and it was full of anxiety that I didn't even want to go to school because I was afraid like for my life and for my safety to, to be there at 16 for me when I was experimenting in, 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 in sexual situations with girls that I wasn't emotionally ready for, but I was doing because I wanted to be accepted because I felt like that's what I was supposed to do. When I was 20 and experienced my own sexual assault when I lost my virginity for the first time in a non-consensual way and then convinced myself that it was consensual because I put myself in the situation and deep down I wanted it. There was no conversations for me. There was nobody to talk to. My dad is amazing. He couldn't talk to me. He didn't even know this stuff was happening because I didn't feel safe enough to share it with him. And I needed it. I needed it at 38. I needed it at 11, at 20, 25. And if I needed it, I know that there are so many young boys who need it. There are mothers and fathers who need it as well. Because one of the things I've noticed is that we just kind of let our young boys be boys. We just kind of chalk it up to, oh, well, they're just going to be whoever they are. They're just filled with testosterone. You can't really change them. There's no sense. And we abandon them. That's why there's no book section for young boys. So there's no bookstore. My book's been like the number one book for young boys on Amazon since it came out because there's no books for young boys. This is a strange case of like, I would love to not be the number one book because there are so many books aimed at young boys, but there just aren't. We've abandoned them. All of our attention is on young girls. But I believe if we cannot teach our boys how to be safe spaces for themselves, then girls, gay men, trans folks, the world will never be a safe space for anybody. And at the end of the day, what do we all want? I always talk to my little boy, LZ, and I always put us at the playground together. And, you know, I, my story is I'm a, an identical twin. And being an identical twin, my upbringing was I was never chosen. It was always Gregory. I was never chosen. Mm, so now, so hard. Yeah, but I have the tools to look at that. And whenever I feel like I'm not chosen, I go back to the playground as adult Lawrence. And I speak to little LZ and I'm like, I'm choosing you now. And Mm -hmm. I'm choosing you because I love you. And we navigate this together, which is why I'm in this field of choosing women to hold their hand to find their beauty. As a kid growing up, my parents didn't have tools. They didn't know how to do it differently. And I miss both parents. That's with Mm -hmm. communication. That's with therapy. That's with sobriety. I mean, like, man, I miss them. But what I swore with both nephews is I was going to give them what I wasn't. Mm. And I had forgiven my parents for what they didn't know how to do differently. And whenever mm. I saw my nephews, I would first of all have them run into my arms. I'd hold them close and I'd say, okay, sweetheart, there's Alexander and there's Christian. And I'd be like, okay, when I get to one, that's when I'll put you down. And I'd hold them close and it'd be like, ah, 10, nine, eight, mm. seven. And I would give them all this love and then I'd get to two and I'd be like, three, two. (laughs) 
nine, eight. <laughs> and I'd loop back again. And then I'd put each one of them down and I'd look at them in the eyes and I'd say, you're amazing. You can be and do anything you want to do. Mm. And I also said, Uncle Lawrence and Uncle Gregory will be here forever to help give them what I wasn't given. And by no, no, I mean, believe my parents, my parents, your parents probably didn't go out of their way to be like mean and malicious. They just didn't know how to do it differently. So the <laughs> fact that your book is like a roadmap for little LZ, little Justin, my mm. nephews, is, is such a gift of grace. Mm. Thank you, man. To give these kids a shot. Yeah, our boys need a shot. Our boys need to know that they're loved. They need to know that they're enough. As you know, I mean, I could talk to you. Look, if you ever, if you went forever, <laughs> if you have, look, if Emily and the kids, and by the way, such great names for your kids, Maya Grace and Maxwell Roland Samuel, such good. So my wife, both the first names came to my wife and like one a dream and the other one was just like a vision. We named Maxwell off of his two grandfathers. My wife's father who passed away, I never got to meet him, Roland and my dad, Sam. So kind of like a generational healing L in a name. It's pretty yeah, sweet. Yeah, yeah. What's your middle name? Lewis, named after my grandfather, my dad's son, who I didn't get to meet. Mine is Serge. That's cool. After after my grandfather, and Gregory's yeah. is William, and Vincent's is Leon. With all of this, let me ask you this. What do you see now through your eyes that is beautiful that you didn't see before? I mean, I think for years I couldn't see how beautiful this world was. And I I I very I got I got trapped in in this culture of you know watching the news and and looking at politics and reading Twitter and just looking at the world like a dumpster fire and I just missed how beautiful people were and how gorgeous this world is and how much hope I have in the next generation of these children I mean I love life and it's so easy to let the, the clouds roll in and obscure the sun. But if you think about it, no matter how cloudy it gets, that sun is shining just on the other side. And you're still, you're still getting the sun even when, it's, even when there's a storm. It's still the sun coming through those clouds. So you know, I'm just noticing how beautiful the world is, how much I, I love life. And then in those moments where I just feel heavy, and sad, and, and I feel like the clouds, there's a rain cloud over my head. I can just acknowledge that that's where I am today, but the sun is still shining. And that's been really helpful for me. Looking at my kids and seeing just the way they see the world and their excitement. Of course, there's still little shits that annoy the hell out yeah, of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's like this wonder that I think we lose as adults that I don't think we have to lose. And that's kind of what I'm getting back. And that wonder is beautiful. Marion Williamson said something that I've never forgotten. She said, you know, as kids, we're born into this world trusting. And somewhere along the way, somebody betrays that trust. And throughout our life, the trust continues to get betrayed. And mm. our job as adults is to reestablish our own trust, how we navigate through the world. I love that. Very true. I could talk to you forever, number one. Yeah, me too. You're so wonderful to talk to. Number two, you make conversation easy and you expose yourself. Okay, just because I go off on rants for 10 minutes and you don't have to ask too many questions. <laughs> no, but the, the, here's what I love about it. That's your passion. You ask me about makeovers. You ask me about what it takes to make a woman look in the mirror and love what 
she sees from the hair to the makeup, to the clothing, to the shoes, to the undergarments. I'll talk for five hours because that's my core. That's my passion. Yeah. I have so many things that I didn't get to five feet apart. You on Jane the Virgin. There are so many things about your life that are so fascinating. And you, you talk the talk, you've walked the walk and you're what the word authenticity is all about. I appreciate it, man. For people that don't follow you, follow. I want, I want I want everybody to follow your journey because you make the world better. You practice what you preach. And as a man, whenever we're together, I don't feel so alone. Mm, that's the sweetest thing. That's the gift what you just gave me there is I really appreciate. It. That's the whole goal, man. Because you're not. We're not. So yeah, just follow Justin on his journey. Your books, Man Enough and Boys Will Be Human. Okay, answer this question for me, Justin. I, Justin Baldoni, am beautiful because. I, Justin Baldoni, am beautiful because I was made in the image and likeness of God. I, I so love that because I always say that we are all couture. <laughs> couture in God's image. It's one person, one event, one outfit. And I'm custom. I'm custom made in God's eyes and nobody else is made just like me. Nobody else. Nobody else. Love talking to you. I appreciate you so much. And from the bottom of my heart, Justin, thank you for just showing up and giving, giving all of it a voice and mm. allowing, allowing me and allowing whoever's going to accept it and embrace it to be okay and navigate through it. Well, you are okay. And you are enough. All of us are. You are the best. Thank you. Now that was a beautiful ride. And speaking of beautiful, I want to thank Dr. Stacy J. Stevenson for going on this ride with us. When it comes to feeling good, it all starts from the inside out, and it's time for everyone to get their glow on. Now, go out and have a beautiful day. Ready, set, glow. Glow.